Welcome back to the KPL Podcast. I'm your host, Jagisha. This week on the podcast, I have author Tara Shelton-Harris, and we will be talking about her book, One Summer in Savannah. Welcome mm-hmm. to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So to start off with, uh, tell us about yourself. I, my name is Tara Shelton-Harris, and I am a collection development librarian and a writer um, based in Alabama. I have been with my library for the last 15 or so years in various different positions, and I'm currently the deputy director, but I uh, a huge role, a huge um, responsibility of mine is collection development. So I am responsible for purchasing all the adult print and digital materials for my library system, which consists of three branches and a bookmobile. So. Oh, wow. Yes. I help with collection development too. So favorite part of my job is to be able to buy books. <laughs> it is, it is the best. It is the best. When it's time to start to compile those carts, I just get so excited. So let's talk about the book. Give us the uh, spoiler-free synopsis. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Uh, One Summer Savannah tells the story of a woman who conceived a child through sexual assault and must decide whether or not to allow her attacker's family into her daughter's life. Uh, Something made even more difficult when she falls for the, the last person she never expected was the identical twin brother of the man who attacked her. So the book opens and Sarah Lancaster is living this quiet life in coastal Maine with her daughter. Mm -hmm. And she is starting to see that her daughter's growing up. Uh, Her daughter's a genius. And so this tiny town at the end of the world where they live, she's outgrown it. She uh, has outgrown her teachers. She's outgrown her tutors. And she's starting to ask more and more questions about her father, questions that Sarah cannot answer. So Sarah knows that her time of finally having to tell her daughter what happened to her is rapidly approaching and she's afraid of it. And so, uh, so she doesn't know what she's going to do. And then one day she receives a phone call that her father is ill and she must return home to Savannah to face the ghosts of her past. And while she's at home, she is taking care of her father and running his bookstore, but she's still very desperate to protect Alana from the Wilers, the powerful family of the man who attacked her, who have no idea that Alana exists. Uh, Sarah thinks she can succeed until she accidentally runs into the identical twin brother man who attacked her, Jacob, who recently returned home to try to put his family back together and understand this tragic event that kind of altered their family's dynamics. And she doesn't know if she can trust Jacob, uh, but she's de- she's very desperate. And Jacob is no no fan of his of his family. He's no fan. Um, he moved away after the event. He wanted to also kind of get away from what happened. Uh, he is kind of on the outs with his mother and he hasn't spoken to Daniel, the attacker, his brother in eight years. So he's no fan of his family, but Sarah still doesn't know if she can trust him or not, but she's very desperate. So she enters into this agreement with him in exchange for his silence. Jacob can spend time with Alana and tutor Alana. And as they all begin to spend more and more time together, Jacob and Sarah are drawn together in unexpected ways. Yes, extremely fascinating combination of of events. So what inspired the story? There were two events that inspired One Summer in Savannah. Mm -hmm. The first one was the uh, South Carolina church shooting when days after that tragic event, 
the survivors, they walked into a courthouse and they forgave the shooter. And in that moment, I realized that I didn't know anything about forgiveness. I assumed that forgiveness, that there were acts and crimes and behaviors that was just unforgivable. And they taught me the opposite. And I knew that I wanted to write a book that challenged the reader's definition of forgiveness the way that my um, definition of forgiveness was challenged. Mm -hmm. So I had a theme, but I didn't have a story until someone very close to me uh, shared a story with me that I did not know that she had conceived a child through sexual assault and that she lives the act of forgiveness every day. Mm-hmm. And um, I asked if I could share her story. and She said, yes. And so the inspiration, so I realized I had a story with a theme. And so the inspiration behind One Summer Savannah stems from both of those incidents, but also it's inspired by the millions of Sarahs around the world who conceived children through sexual assault. And I hope that this kind of sheds a light on their plight and their bravery. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit deeper about the theme. That's a major theme in your book, forgiveness. So how does Sarah start this process? So it seems, well, she started the process pretty much probably when she found out she was pregnant. So how does that process sort of, how did you work through the process and writing about it? Okay. Well, one of the things that was important for me, since this is a book that deals with a heavily theme of forgiveness and also conception after sexual assault, was to decide what to put in and what not to put in. Mm -hmm. And as far as for Sarah was the understanding that Sarah at first did not face what happened to her. She accepted that she was pregnant. She moved away. But with her living at the end of the world, she never really accepted and started to understand what happened to her. And so her moving back to Savannah kind of started that process for her. And even when she moved back, she was still very hesitant and reluctant to understand that this is the path that she needed to go down. And one of the things, if as without any spoilers, one of the things that kind of helps is that Jacob helps her with that because he is battling his own forgiveness. He has his own forgiveness to dole out. His brother basically altered their family's dynamics with this crime. And so he had a lot of anger with his father, I mean, excuse me, with Daniel as well. And so the two of them kind of move through the process together. Jacob helps her understand what happened to her and slowly helps her to realize that, of course, it was not her fault. Nothing that she did was her fault. But also she, Sarah, realized that she needed to move towards forgiveness for her daughter, Alana. She's a genius. She knew she realized she could not keep her hidden at the end of the world, that she was a genius and she needed to get out and start to learn things. She's an eight year old child that loves things like Chick-fil-A and, you know, swimming. And so she needed to be out in the world. And so she realized that everything that she had been doing would had been hurting Alana and not necessarily helping her. And mm-hmm. so by starting to allow Alana to live in the world and be in Savannah, um, along with Jacob explaining to what happened to her, that kind of helps Sarah start to move toward forgiveness. So let's talk about some of the other characters. Uh, you've, you've mentioned Jacob, Daniel, there's also Birdie and uh, Alana. So mm-hmm. t- tell us more about these characters and how did you come about creating them? Yeah, I love the side characters in, in this book. Uh, Alana, without any spoilers, is based on a person. And that's all I'm really going to, mm-hmm. I can really say without spoiling anything for anyone that has not read it. 
but I knew that I needed to have a catalyst to really push Sarah toward mm-hmm. moving back to Savannah and staying in Savannah. And by doing that, it was it was an easy decision to make um, Alana a genius because there's just no way with her as smart as she was and she's working through and trying to solve this very difficult mathematic equation. She realized that she could not do that uh, where she was currently living. Mm -hmm. And so it was really fun. Alana's character was really fun to how to make her a smart and genius, but also to make her an eight-year-old child that loves to swim and loves to write. And it was very precocious. And so I love the Sarah character, the birdie character for, um, was she's very one note I will admit she's a very one note character but she needed to be as strong and hard for her children uh Birdie is Daniel and Jacob's uh, mother and she Jacob and Daniel were not geniuses but they were very smart and so she realized that she was raising the next very you know smart children and so she wanted to make sure that they had the best education possible and then when this event happened it kind of like i said altered the dynamics of their family and so she didn't know how to come back from that uh and so um birdie is also still very much frozen in that time of what happened to them earlier and then jose is um sarah's father who uh, does not speak traditionally. He speaks through poetry. Uh, Jose is uh, loosely based on my grandfather who suffered a stroke whenever I was young and lost his ability to speak. And so he would, we would understand him through gestures and sounds that he made. And so I thought, since I'm a lover of poetry, I thought, why not um, use poetry as a way for um, Jose to express himself? And then you have Sylvia, who is... um, somewhat of a mother to Sarah. Sarah lost her real mother whenever she was young, but Sylvia kind of fills that role and is kind of like the confidant and the friend for um, Sarah. Yes, I love all the characters and one, and I did love Jose, Sarah's father, and the poetry was just incredible. And how, to come up with someone who can who speaks through poetry, how did you find the poems and who's your favorite poet? That's a tough question because I love poetry. I'm an English major. Uh, I love poetry. My favorite, I love Mary Oliver. She'll probably be my favorite, but I used a lot of um, William Butler Yeats and Mm -hmm. Walt Whitman in this just because they are second nature to me. I studied them a lot uh, when I was in college. And those are the poems that I knew right off the top of my head. When I tell people that they're like fascinated, like, how do you know these poems? And I I, as I was writing, the, the poetry would just kind of come to me. Mm-hmm. There, I use a lot of Cummings, E.E. E. Cummings, um, that I also love a lot. But one of the, the reasons and one of the, um, a lot of the poetry that was used is in the public domain mm-hmm. because uh, it had to be free and I had to have, you know, I didn't have to seek permission to use um, a lot of the poetry. So that's why I went with a lot of the um, older poetry. There's a lot of modern poetry that I would have loved to include but it's not in the public domain. Yeah. Now, did you write any of your own poetry and uh, include it in the book? <laughs> no, I did not. I I love poetry, but I am not a writer of poetry. You do not want to um, to read any of my poetry. It's not very good. Oh, yeah. I would love to be able to write poetry, but yeah, I'm in the same boat. I'm just not capable of putting, to- yeah. putting words together in that way. Yeah, yeah. So another major theme in your book is time. And uh, I love how Alana, her 
her body for some reason kills watches. <laughs> and so could we talk a little bit more about time? Yeah. Um, I like to incorporate a lot of my real world experiences into the books that I write. And um, several members of my husband's family cannot wear watches. And I've always, and at them, but also I've met people throughout my years of people who cannot wear watches. And I was always fascinated by why they could not. And even in my research in this, I no one can really give a, def, a definitive answer as to why people can't wear watches. But I knew that I wanted Alana to um, time to be this undercurring theme, kind of a hidden theme that um, it had been eight years and time is starting to just kind of catch up with Sarah and Jacob both. Mm -hmm. And so why not use and have Alana's love for time and watches kind of be that undercurrent, um, the undercurrent theme? Yeah. And the same is true. I guess hopefully I'm not giving away anything. The same is true for Daniel, too. And I won't say anything more. Right. <laughs> Right. A absolutely. Absolutely. So what is your writing process like? Oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little tricky with my writing process. I need complete silence. I know there's a lot of writers that write with music on or write in cafes and coffee shops. Just put me in the quietest corner um, possible. And I am perfectly fine with that. As far as coming up with the, with my writing and how I write, I have to know the end of my story first. And then I kind of write to that. Mm -hmm. I cannot start without knowing the end first. Uh, I knew the end of this book of One Summer in Savannah uh, before I started writing. And I just kind of wrote to the end. Mm -hmm. And then I have certain plot points that I know that I want to happen. And so that kind of serves as a connect the dots for me um, as a process as I move through. But um I am a, a plant, a planter. I don't plot anything and I don't pants all the rest of it. So I, I like to call myself a, a mixture of both mm -hmm. and a planter. So there are plots that I know, but everything in between, I just kind of make it up as I go along. Yeah. So did you start, do you, do you write backwards? So if you start with knowing the end, do you actually write the chapter, you know, the last chapter and the second to last so forth? No, I know the end, but I don't write the end. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, my characters speak to me. So I, I hear voices. I know a lot of writers, they can see movies in their head and they can see complete scenes in their head. That's not me. I don't see anything in my head whenever I write. I hear voices. And so that's what I write down. And so I could be in the middle, Jacob could have said something that's in the middle of chapter 15 and I will mm -hmm. write that entire scene. Or Sarah could say something that was in chapter eight. I will write that entire scene. And then I kind of put it all together. Mm -hmm. I do not write in, I do not write in order, mm -hmm. which if someone was to ask me or to say, how do you do it? I cannot answer that question, but I just know that I want certain things to happen and just kind of, it's like a puzzle. I have all these scenes that has happened and that have written and that the characters have spoken to me and told me, and I just kind of put them all together like a puzzle. It's mm -hmm. very strange. No, no, it's, you know, I find it fascinating because I talk to a lot of authors for the podcast. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I always ask this question about writing processes and everybody gives me a, a different answer. So mm -hmm. I always, you know, it's, it's interesting because I had an author tell me that she likes to come up with a host, you know, a set of theme songs, like a, like a Spotify playlist for her uh, book. Wow. So, and mm -hmm. she writes to music. So it's just, it's very interesting how people, how creativity works for people. Yes. And I write all my books longhand. 
I do mm-hmm. not type. Um, I only transcribe typing whenever I'm transcribing from what I've written to the computer. But um, all of my books that I have written have been written by longhand. And I just found that that process just is so much easier. My brain flows a lot easier than mm-hmm. um, typing on a computer. And then you also don't have the distractions of typing on a computer as well. But uh, yeah, so I just grab a notebook and a pencil and I just and I just go at it. So I have all these notebooks and um, tiny pieces of paper whenever I get ideas, because I said the characters, they speak to me. So mm-hmm. that could be in the bathroom. I can be in Target. I can be in a bookstore. They speak to me. So I tend to jot down what they say to me because my memory is not very good. So if I don't write it down, it's gone possibly forever. Mm-hmm. So I, I have all these little scrap pieces of paper that have all these notes on it. And my husband's like, okay, it, it, here, this was in the car. And I go, oh, that's, that's part of chapter 15. Let me have that back. Sorry. So uh, yeah, that I found that that process just, it's just so much easier for me. Yeah. Amazing. So what's next for you? Are you working on something new? I, uh, publishing is very strange. And I love saying this because I, my One Summer Savannah debuts on July 4th mm-hmm. and my second book, Long After We're Gone, uh, is set to be published a year from now. So mm-hmm. I am writing my third book in, okay. at, at the moment, at the moment. So publishing is strange because, you know, I'm doing, um, press for One Summer in Savannah and I'm working on copy edits for my second book while I am writing my third book. So yeah, publishing is definitely a weird animal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, because you probably wrote this probably a year ago at least. So yeah, I finished One Summer in Savannah at the end of 2020. So yeah, yeah. So you wrote during the pandemic? I did, which, um, you know, there there weren't very many perks to (laughs) the (laughs) pandemic, but one tiny perk, if I could call it that, was my library closed for almost three months. Mm-hmm. So I was able to uh, work from home and working from home gave me all this time and space to just finally sit down and start to write this idea um, out. And by the time my library had reopened, I was completely locked in and I just it took me a couple more months to kind of hone it and finish it. And uh, I finished it in like November of 2020. Wow. Nice. I guess the perks of the pandemic was, yeah, being able to read a book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now we're librarians. So I got to ask this question. What's your favorite part about being a librarian? There's so many parts. There's so many parts. I could easily say it's the collection development part, mm-hmm. but that's for me personally, but it's really the joy of helping people. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. It's knowing that the difference that we make truly inspires and helps people. We, uh, my library, I am in rural Alabama. And so we have, my little tiny library system has done so much, I feel, for this community. Mm-hmm. We um, we started processing passports at my library, which, you know, if not, they'd have to drive. They'd have a drive. I mean, there's a post office across the street um, that processes passports, but having at the library gives the people such an, a better opportunity to get their, um, their passports processed. We circulate hotspots, which it may not be a big deal for a lot of other areas, but it is for our area that is rural. Uh, and that is that makes me so, so, so happy. We um, recently instituted a library of things, you know, where patrons mm-hmm. can check out non-traditional items 
and and laptops are included in that. And we've had uh, patients come up to us and say, thank you so much. You know, I can take a laptop home. I'm taking classes um, from home and I have a, a newborn and I can't bring my newborn child into the library. But having access to this computer helps me be able to do my homework while um, my daughter is napping. And so it's truly those moments. It's truly those moments when when patients come in and they're so appreciative for the services that we offer. And that to me makes my job just fantastic. Yeah, I have to agree with you. We do a lot of the same things, but we're like a suburban library more so than a than a rural library. But yeah, we mm-hmm. have a library of things and we have fishing poles and people get so excited to see fishing poles yeah. because it's not something, you know, you don't want to purchase if you're just starting out and wanting to figure out how to fish. So that's right. One of the programs um, that I love that we offer, we call it the Connect Pass. And it's just patrons can come in and they can check out a ticket to um, Waterworld, which is a water mm-hmm. park here in the town where I live. Um, in the summer, we have AMC movie passes. Like you could check out a movie pass and you can go to the movies. And it's just stuff like that that we offer our patrons that just makes a difference um, to them so much. And that that to me is as much as I love collection development and I love putting books in people's hands. I also love to tell people that libraries are so much more about more than books. And it's just those other things that have nothing to do with a physical book that also means so much. Yes. Yes. Totally agreed. There's so much to, to libraries and uh, I'm always surprised when people are, one of the questions we get is, is it free? And especially like getting a library card and that I still get that question yeah. and I'm always shocked because I've had a library card since I was a little kid. So. Yeah. Right. Every place I've lived, I've always had a library card. Mm-hmm. And I just, when I, I almost reprimand people when I said, do you have a library card? And they're like, no, I'm like, why don't you? And, you know, I love answering the question of, well, I have, you know, I have, I buy my books or I have internet at home. And I'm like, well, uh, do you need a passport? Um, do you need something notarized? You know, I, you know, I started naming all these things that, you know, mm-hmm. that they could use the library for. I had a truck driver who was like, well, I'm on the road all the time. And I was like, well, you know, we have a thing called audiobooks. Mm-hmm. And he was paying for Audible, which, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with Audible. But, you know, we have Overdrive and you mm-hmm. could just listen to books without having to pay anything. And the last time he was in town, he, he stopped by and was like, this is amazing. Like, I don't need my Audible subscription anymore. That wasn't my purpose, but it was just to say, hey, we have these things, too. You know, I was just trying to show him that mm-hmm. there's something for everyone. And I love being able to prove um, to prove that. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So last question, what are you reading or what do you recommend we read? I am reading, if, I don't know if you can see it back here or not. I'm reading a book called The Favor by Adele Griffin. She's also published through Sourcebooks Landmark. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fascinating story uh, about um, surrogacy and how that process works. And as far as I just finished Changing All-Stars, which was amazing, amazing, mm-hmm. amazing. And I also finished, um, recently finished a book, No Man's Ghost by Jason Powell, who is a New York City firefighter. So very interesting. Nice. Well, I'm going to have to add those to my uh, TBR, which <laughs> never ends. <laughs> never ends, never. Well, thank you so much for your time. And this was so much fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And listeners, One Summer in Savannah is available right here at the Kirkwood Public Library. So please come to the library and check it out. If you are here for the podcast challenge for summer reading, the code word is community. Once again, the code word is community. 
Thank you for listening. That's our show this week. Join us next week when we talk to author Joshua Winning about his latest novel, Burn the Negative. Until next time.